Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in the Gospel of John in chapter 15, beginning today in verse 18. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. In November of 2018, you may remember reading in the news of a young man by the name of John Allen Chow. I believe I have a picture of him. John Allen Chow. In the November of that year, after having spent years in prayer and preparation, this young man was martyred and murdered on the beaches of the North Sentinel Island on the eastern edge of the Bay of Bengal, just west of Thailand. The North Sentinelese people are an unreached and uncontacted group of people who had been known to be violent towards outsiders. But Chow could not shake the feeling that God was calling him to take the gospel to this unreached group. It had burdened him. I encourage you this week to go online and read about this young man. Read excerpts from his journal. After several days of kayaking from the fishing boat that had taken him out there, kayaking to the beachhead and leaving gifts for and supplies for the North Sentinelese people, he made his final contact in the early morning of November the 16th. Later that morning, the fishermen who had brought him near the coast would witness his death and his burial. One of the last entries in his journal, which he left behind for the fishermen, reads, You guys may think I'm crazy in all this, but it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. One of the men of whom this world was not worthy. Now the reason that this story stands out in my mind is because I remember how news outlets reported his death during that month. I remember reading through the news of this man who had died and you would never have guessed by listening to the news, by reading the the titles of the articles, or reading the articles them, themselves, that there was any noble cause. They branded him as foolish. They branded him as a colonizer. They branded him as an outlier and an insane person. Impertinent. As if somehow the Great Commission has ended as if it was outdated, or as if the Great Commission has an asterisk by it that says this does not apply if there are hazardous or harmful conditions. John Chow that day joined the long list of those brothers and sisters throughout time who have been killed on account of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He joined a list that day even greater of those who have been persecuted or even greater in number of those who have been persecuted because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And his name continued to be attached to that even larger list of those who have been hated on account of Jesus Christ. Hate has accompanied believers from the beginning of time. Just east of the Garden of Eden, you will recall how Cain slew his own brother Abel on account of Abel's righteousness and his nearness to God. Throughout the years, the prophets have died at the hands of the world. Men and women, boys and girls have refused to renounce the name of Jesus and have bore the ultimate cost on earth in giving their life. Throughout all of the history of mankind, followers of the one true God have been hated and persecuted and killed. The subject that we broach today as we come to this passage of Scripture is not a feel-good topic to discuss on the surface. The title of our message today is The Most Hated People on the Face of the Earth. And today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this moniker may be attached to you. If you have your Bibles, please join me now in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I desperately need, as this weak preacher, the power of your spirit to preach your word to your people, so that the lost would be saved and the saved would be drawn closer to you. Please use me today and speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The motivation and the thrust of this passage is found in chapter 16, verses 1, and in verse 4. All of the information that Jesus is going to convey to his disciples here just moments before his own death, Jesus knows all that is coming his way, and yet with composure that only he could show, he is poured into his disciples. 
And so now he begins to tell them of this very unsettling and troublesome news. Why does he tell them this? He says it in verse 1. I've said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. And then again in verse 4. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. As he's preparing to go to the cross, he wants his disciples, he wants us to know something very important that will keep us from stumbling, that will keep us from falling away. So notice with me from our text today, at the end of chapter 15 and into the beginning of chapter 16, I want you to see these three trying truths. Number one, you will be hated. You will be hated. That's great news from the pulpit, isn't it? Isn't that what you want to hear? You will be hated. But it's true. The world will hate you and the world will hate me. There is absolutely no way around it. And if there's any question, just look to our current climate and our current culture. Is there anything that stirs such hatred and vitriol in the world today than to speak the truth of God, to speak the words of Jesus with authority, I think not. The world hates us, intensely so. The Greek word that is uh, mentioned here for hate speaks of an intense disregard, a strong aversion against. The truth is not one that we necessarily enjoy, or one that we embrace, but it's a truth that you need to know today. For all of you believers who've been trying to court the favor of the world, to try to get the world to just like you and to live at peace with you, you should understand this. No matter how much compromising you may do, and you should never compromise the Word of God, but so many people who claim to be Christians have done so to court the favor of the world, you will find yourself out of favor with both God and man. The world will hate you. Now, this isn't an excuse for us to be defiant. This isn't an excuse for us to be unlikable, to be hateful back towards the world, nor use this re reality to justify ourselves to be people who are antagonistic. So many people who are believers know that the world hate them, and they use it as... Uh, they use it as a means for them or to justify them to be mean back to the world. That's not us. That's not what we do as believers. We love when we are hated. We're kind when others are malicious toward us. It just is what it is. Look with me in verse 18. You are hated by association. Verse 18. If the world hates you. Now, that's a conditional sentence. If the world. It's assumed to be true in verse 18. And in verse 19, it's going to be confirmed to be true. If the world hates you, the scripture says, know that it hated me first. Friends, when the world hates you, you can find comfort and joy in the fact knowing that you are in good company. They hated Jesus first. Have you ever... 
Uh, I'm I'm by default a people pleaser. It's not something that I like about myself. I'm always, I mean, it's just part of my flesh. I'm always just trying to, hey, what did you think about that? Did you like that? Did you like this? Uh, Did I do this wrong? I'm always second guessing. I'm by default a people pleaser. And so I've noticed that sometimes in my life there are some people who you will just never please. But sometimes there are people in your life who you don't please, right? And then you look around and you look at their life and you say, oh, well, I'm in good company because they're not pleased by a whole lot of people, right? These people are never happy. Now, I'm not saying that about you fine folks here at First Baptist Church, West Memphis. Never would I ever say something like that here in front of you so publicly where I could be stoned in public and on live TV or online. But the fact is, you and I are hated by our mere association with Jesus. The fact that we are His causes the world to hate us. When your heart aches, when the people of the world hate you, when they pass you up for promotion, not based upon performance, but based upon your profession, take heart, don't fall away. My brothers and sisters know Jesus told us the world will hate you. Students, all my friends in here, when the world doesn't accept you into their inner circle, when you're always on the outside of the conversation at your school or your work, when people don't just naturally invite you in, and it's because of your walk with Jesus, take joy, my friends. Jesus said this was going to happen. The world will hate you by your association with him. It's a hate by association. In verse 19, we learned that it's a hate out of alienation. Look with me in verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. The world hates the followers of Jesus Christ because we do not belong to them. We're no longer part of the worldly system. We're no longer children of darkness. If we were still in the world, they would welcome us with open arms. I mean, you look around you. It's amazing to look at the dynamics of our culture and the world, all of the, all of the things the world is willing to accept and embrace. In our own country, you can look around, you can see all of the wickedness that our world is willing to embrace and to have with open arms. And yet, when it comes to Christianity, these people are excluded from that. I mean, literally anything. We're seeing it in our world, just a, just a pouring out of wickedness and evil into our world, and it's all being applauded and held close to them. But if you declare the words of Jesus Christ with authority, you will be hated. Why? We are not of the world anymore. We are in the world, but not of the world. It doesn't make us better people. We weren't saved by our own goodness. We were saved by Jesus. It's not a position of, hey, look at me. I'm better than you are. That's not it. We understand that there's no difference on our account. There's no difference between us and them other than Jesus has graciously and mercifully come into our lives and saved us and changed us. And he offers the same to all of the world who would repent and call upon his name as Lord and Savior. We are hated by 
association. We are hated out of alienation. We're foreign to them. We're alien to them. They can't grasp us. They can't understand us. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Black ink, white paper, the world hates you. Now you may be tempted to look at our society today and you would say, well, it's not really hate. Maybe it's we just don't agree on certain things. But I think that if you look closely enough, you will see what Jesus has seen, the heart of the people, which is the world hates us. And he says here, because we were chosen out of the world. When Jesus chose us, when we repented of our sins and confessed him as Lord, we were no longer people of this world, but we were children of God. It's a hate that's unwarranted. Look with me in verses 22 through 25. It's a hate that is unwarranted. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. You see, had Jesus not come into this world, all the people who were around him, they would have still been sinners. They would have still broken the law. They would have still fallen short of the glory of God. But had Jesus not come, they would not have had a chance to reject him. And the rejection of Jesus is ultimately the judgment for all of mankind. The most important question to be asked by every man, woman, boy, and girl is what do you do with Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? The most important question that will ever be asked. But Jesus is saying here, had I not come, they would not have, an, they would not have had an opportunity to reject me. But he did come. He lived a perfect and blameless and holy and miraculous life in front of them. He fulfilled every single prophecy from the Old Testament. He obeyed every law and fulfilled every law of God. He was and is the image of the invisible God, the radiance of his glory the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds all of creation in the universe by the word of his power, and yet they loved, the world loves darkness rather than light. And they hated Jesus. Verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Jesus came extending to them salvation, extending to the world salvation, and the world hated him for it. Total, unwarranted hatred. They had broken his laws. We had broken his laws. We deserve death and hell. We deserve separation from him. But he loved us and sent his only son. It wasn't a passive mission. This was an active mission of God where Jesus bore our sins took our sins upon himself so that we might have his righteousness. He died for us. The hatred of the world against the man, the only son of God, Jesus Christ, is an unwarranted hate. Therefore, their hatred for us 
by association is an unwarranted hate. Now, I bring this to you. Jesus brings this to your attention so that when you go through those times, and you will go through those times, you can cling to his words. You can cling to him. He knew it was going to happen before it happened. And whatever you endure, he endured far greater. You will be hated. Secondly, I want you to see with me from our text today, you will be persecuted. There's no greater concept to the world today than to envision a world free from Christianity, free from followers of Jesus. There's no greater concept to the world than this. The world believes that believers, that Christians, followers of Jesus, are the ones holding them back. And if, and if God's word is not true, let me just say this, if God's word is not true, if he is not the only the only uh, king in heaven, if Jesus was not the one and only son of God who died for our sins and offered us salvation, if this book is not true, then we are all of those bad things. But this word is true. And the world hates and it persecutes those who follow Jesus. They they can not imagine a greater world than a world where we are gone. It makes me think of that, that famous song written so many years ago by that famous musician, John Lennon. You remember the song, Imagine? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Then he continues, imagine there's no countries it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to imagine all the people living life in peace. Then he says, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. The world feels as if it is far better off with our absence now, it may be that this song was written toward patrons or believers of all religions. It seems rather pointed toward Christianity or used, uh, I think, rather pointedly toward Christianity t today. But the fact remains that the world does not want us. And so, Jesus says they will persecute us. Look with me in verses 20 and 21. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Believer, did they persecute Jesus? You better believe they persecuted Jesus. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. The persecution is definite. It's certain. It's definite in the life of the believer. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 says that all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Friends, brothers and sisters, Jesus assures us here before going to the cross, that we will be persecuted. 
It's a part of our walk with Jesus. It's a part of still being in this world. Now, some people will say that we aren't really persecuted here in the United States of America. And I would say that's probably a a fair statement to make. After all, our brothers and sisters in India right now are meeting in undisclosed locations because the police are sniffing them out, trying to find where they are. And when they find them, they're pulling them into the streets and they're beating them. Our brothers and sisters in China and in places in the Middle East and in Africa and all around the world are being persecuted, are being physically beaten on account of Christ. Again, men and women of whom this world is not worthy. But the word mentioned here for persecution means not only something that is physically done towards somebody, but this persecution here means to move rapidly and decisively toward a subject or to drive out or to harass. It's literally the pursuit against believers. You see, Hatred is what is in their hearts. Persecution is what is on their lips and on their hands. Persecution is what flows out from their hearts. Because they hate us, they will persecute us, harass us, put us on the outside, look for ways to remove us from society. Persecution is certain and definite. This is not a political comment. This is not a social comment. This is what Scripture says. Jesus makes it clear. God's Word is clear. If you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. It's a deluded persecution. Look with me in chapter 16, verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Do you know what it means to be put out of the synagogue? In the New Testament era for a Jewish person, they're outside of society. They are shunned. They're not a part of the family. They're they're outside of the help and the protection of the synagogue. He says, they will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. They believe that they're doing a service to God by killing Believers. Now, this was most certainly true for the disciples. As soon as Jesus ascended to the Father, persecution began to break out amongst the church. Remember Stephen, who was chosen by the disciples to help serve, and he was proclaiming the gospel. Remember what happened to Stephen, the first Christian martyr, murdered because he would not renounce Jesus as Christ. And as the crowd was stoning Stephen, the men laid their coats at the feet of Saul or Paul. Paul thought he was doing a service by seeking out and causing suffering to the church. It was true then, it's still true today. Persecution of believers around the world and even here is done, thinking that they are offering a service to their own God, themselves, or society at large. It's a deluded persecution. Know that they don't hate you as so much as it is they hate who you are associated with, and they're persecuting. It's a deluded persecution. They believe that they're offering a service to mankind. 
It's a persecution because of ignorance. Look with me in verse 3 of chapter 16. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. They don't. They think that they're offering a service to God, but they don't truly know him. If they did, they would not be doing what they're doing. Are you enduring persecution? Have you? You will. And when you do, hold on to these truths. Hold on to them. But finally, I want you to see with me today, not only that you will be hated, and not only that you'll be persecuted, but let me, let me end today on a high note. You will not be alone. My friends, I've finally gotten to the good news from our passage today. You've endured with me for some time as I've been telling you all of the horrendous things that you and I must go through before reaching that place where the sun never sets. Now listen to me just a little bit more, just a little bit longer as I tell you this wonderful truth. You will not be alone. Remember the whole point of this passage is stated in chapter 16 in verse 1 and verse 4. Jesus is wanting you to remember this so you don't fall away. He, he, has, he wants us to remember that he is still on his throne, that he's still in charge. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away, he says. And then again in verse 4, I've said these things to you so that when their hour comes, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. When you're going through difficult times, remember that you are not alone. As Jesus makes this statement, he's preparing for the cross. He's going to show us how to suffer in silence. He's going to teach us how to give honor and glory to God. He's going to teach us how to point towards him and how to give him the glory in the midst of our problems. But one thing that we know for sure as we read this text, we are not alone. You may feel like you're all alone. You may feel like there's no one else who, could, who would ever have your back. But my friends, when Jesus says these things, he is stating his very presence with you. He knows. You know, when we're being persecuted, one of the first tactics that the enemy uses is to stir up doubt. Did God really say that he would protect you? Does God really want you to go through this? Wouldn't it be better to renounce him? If he really cared for you, would he allow you to go through things like this? Is he really in charge? And the answer is, yes, he is really in charge. And yes, he is working out all things for his glory and my good. And yes, he has made a way so that even though I go through these temporary light afflictions is not worth the eternal weight of glory that awaits me when I take my last breath here and I take my first breath there. Know that you're not alone, my friends. When you feel like it, when you feel like the whole world has turned their back on you, you are not alone. He knows. First Peter 4 and verse 12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Therefore, verse 19, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls 
to a faithful creator while doing good. You're not alone. He knows. He's given us this reminder. But notice with me back in chapter 15, verses 26 through 27, and then we'll close. I want you to notice a helper. We've learned about him already in this gospel as we've traveled through John together. Notice what he says in verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Notice that you've been given a helper. Now, I, I believe that if I were put in a circumstance to be martyred, I believe that coward Josh Hall does not have what it takes to not give up on the faith, to not mess up. I've never, ever underestimated my ability to mess up a situation. But you know who I do have confidence in? Jesus. He promised me he would never leave me nor forsake me. He promised me he would finish what he started in my life until that day that he comes back and he gets me. Any good that happens from me or from anyone who knows Jesus doesn't happen from themselves, but it happens from Jesus. And Jesus is saying right here, I'm sending you a helper. The helper is going to help you to be faithful to the very end. He's going to help you to endure trial and suffering. He's going to testify when you've got nothing else to say, when you have no ability to, to echo out the right things. The Holy Spirit is the one who will convey to everyone around you the truth of the gospel, even when you don't have the words to say. He will testify about me, the scripture says. You have a helper He's not left you here alone as orphans. You've been given a helper. Amidst the hate and the persecution, it may have seemed passive in our past years, but can I assure you, my friends, that hatred and persecution will only increase and exponentially as the years come. This is not a time to mourn. It's a time to celebrate. We get to Rely on that helper. You know, I can't think, help but thinking right now of that young man, John Chow. In his journal the night before, I told you some of what was written. But he, the fishermen who were with him said that that evening as the sun set, he began to cry. And he told them, this may be the last sunset that I see before I go to that place where there are no sunsets. He had no desire to just go there and die. But feeling called to go and proclaim the gospel, the young man put his passport in his kayak and pushed it away from the boat. There was no turning back. He told the boat and the fishermen, you stay far away because I don't want you to come into harm's way. And he swam to shore. And there on the beach of that island, that by the way, is still unreached for the gospel that has still not heard the gospel so far as we know. There on that beach and what would amount to, human and to, to humanity and to mankind as humiliation, he walked arms wide open proclaiming, my name is John, I've come to tell you about Jesus. And there where it seemed like he was all alone, no one spoke his language 
on that island, though he tried his best to learn all he could about the languages of that surrounding area, there was no one who spoke his language. There's no one who looked like him. There was no one who shared anything with him. He may have, it may have seemed to all the world that John Chow was all alone. But let me tell you something. He wasn't. And neither are you. In every circumstance, in any circumstance of your life, neither are you when you're walking with Jesus. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.